0: So Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breast 6 cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. And all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 3 says they all came. Go to verse 4. Verse 4 And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of all those instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not sure where Daniel was, by the way. (coughs) We think that he probably was not present here. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? If you're ready, (coughs) when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar tips his hat to his theology here. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then those men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their garments... And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste and he declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four. Four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province, in the province of Babylon. Father, I pray today that you would help us to take a serious look at what it means to, to be a worshiper of yours of what it means to be an idolater. God, I pray that you would help us to see past the uh, the image of gold and, and to see what are idols in our own life. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, that you would speak to each of our hearts. You would keep us from idolatry, keep us from idols. In Jesus' name, amen. The chapter we skipped, chapter 2, is a chapter in which Nebuchadnezzar has a horrible dream. Uh scares the fire out of him, and he has no idea what it means. He wants to know what it means. He believes it has prophetic significance, and so he calls all of his guys together, his magicians and sorcerers, and they all come together. He knows these guys, though. He knows they're liars and that they'll basically save any, say anything to save their skin, and he, he wants to know what's, what's, what's the real meaning. I mean, anybody can interpret dreams. I can interpret dreams. I mean, you tell me that you dream that you're a peanut butter jelly sandwich I'll tell you, you're going to have a sticky situation this week. See? I mean, just kind of a fortune cookie type of deal. I mean, anybody can do that. But how do you know? How do you know that that it's real? Well, Nebuchadnezzar realizes, you know how to know it's real? If they can not only tell me the interpretation, they can tell me the dream. So they, they can tell me what happened in my head. Then I'll know these guys are the real deal. None of them can, obviously. And so he's going to kill them all. He's kind of a hothead, if you haven't noticed that already, you know. Uh, and so he's going to kill them all. So Daniel gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together, and, and they pray. And God, God reveals the dream to Daniel. And it's actually a prophetic dream about the next four kingdoms that are coming. You can open up Wikipedia or your encyclopedia and read that exactly what Daniel said is exactly what happened. Greece and, and uh, I'm sorry, Assyria, Greece, and, and the Roman Empire, and those empires that came after Nebuchadnezzar. But he reveals to him that, that in the statue that Nebuchadnezzar is the, the gold. He's the, the, the great kingdom, the, the one before the declining kingdoms. And so it's interesting that in chapter 3, what is he, Nebuchadnezzar doing? He's out building a great big image of himself, a golden one, you know, out in the, in the plains of dirt. We don't know that it was of him, but we definitely know that he connects himself to this image. He takes personal offense when, when they don't worship this god and so basically he's making his own god out in in the the plains there now now first thing i want to tell you about that is it is really convenient to make your own god have you ever have you ever thought about that i mean when you make your own god you get to pick you know you get to pick what's important you get to pick the rules the commands you know the priorities what what life's about you know when you get to when you make your own God, you get to do all of that. Now, I, I really think that some of you in your mind are thinking, "Man, this guy's an idiot." I mean, how dumb to make your own God? I mean, who who would do that? Who would make their own God and then worship and expect that that God would help them and and be their savior through life? Well, what I'm here today today to tell you is that we are not far from that at all, my friends. Okay. Now, now the thing that we don't do usually is build big statues. Okay. Uh, that represent the ideas behind our God. However, I, 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 would, I would say that we do have representations. I would say that there's a lot of people in America who worship wealth, and that they, they have very clear symbols of that wealth in their life, you know. And whenever those things are threatened, they get really upset and angry. As angry as Nebuchadnezzar did, okay. So I don't think we're too far from it. But, but, but I do believe that we don't have the representations often. But I believe we, in our culture, when I say we, I mean Americans, Oklahomans. I believe that we see all around us, we see people doing exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. Which was to make your own God, Okay. I really believe there's two paths that, you, that people take in worship, okay? The one, and I'm going to read you John 4, 24 here. Jesus says this to the woman at the well. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, okay? So if you're going to be a true worshiper of God, you've got to worship in truth. Now, what does that mean? That means you worship the true God, okay? How do you know who the true God is? Truth. Okay, so let me show you the process by which we must worship. Okay, the process by which we must worship is we must open up our book of truth here. Okay, the Bible is God's revelation of himself through time, through history, through his son Jesus Christ. This is our authority of truth. And so we open up our Bibles and we say, all right, Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, Colossians 1, 16 and seventeen. What does it say? It says, by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, where the thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. Listen to this. All things were created through Him and for Him. All right. So right away. We, we receive truth from the Bible. What is that truth? That truth is that God is creator. He is sustainer. He is ruler. He is owner. He is king. He, 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 he owns it all. Okay? And so what do we do? If we are a worshiper, we receive that truth and then we respond. That's what worship is. It is a response to truth. And so we respond by saying, God, you own it all. It's all yours. I'm yours. My house is yours. My car is yours. My family is yours. My life is yours. I am yours. You are king. I am not. You are. It all all belongs to you. And therefore, I praise you as my king. And I submit to you as my ruler. Okay? We open up our Bibles. Who is Jesus? Well... John 6 says he's the bread of life. John 14 6 says he's the way, truth and life. John 15 says he's the resurrection and the life. Matthew 13:44 and 45 he's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure worth giving everything for. He is savior, king, redeemer. Jesus is that. How do we know the Bible reveals Jesus very clearly as that? And so how do we respond? We respond in worship by saying, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience you. Uh, we, do, we do what Paul did. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we seek Jesus. We say, all right, what did Jesus say? Well, we look in our Bibles. Okay, truth. <clears throat> Jesus said, I'm a sinner. I'm totally broken. And I must come to him for forgiveness. I must I must be connected to him. That's my only chance to be justified, to be righteous, to be transformed. We, we, we respond to To the scriptures we say, God has revealed himself in this way. And therefore I am going to worship and submit and serve and obey him. Okay? Option number two. (coughs) I'm not advocating this one by the way. Option number two. Make your own God. Now, here's your first step in option number two. Watch it very closely. Don't miss the first step. We don't need this. Okay? Option number two, we get to make our own God. So what should our God God's name be? Well, I mean, don't pick like Thor or, you know, Zeus. I mean, you live in Woodward, okay? Jesus, right? Jesus. That's what most folks in our area do. My God is Jesus, okay? So it sounds like it's the same thing. No, 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 it's not the same thing, okay? Because worshiping God in spirit and truth says, Who are you? Okay, that's okay. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Yes, I work. I obey, I serve, I worship, I pray. It's okay. The other way says, well, I want to fit along with everybody else. My God is Jesus, but but my Jesus, he he wants me to be a good person. Now where did I get that? Did I get that from here? I did not. Romans 3 says there's no one good, no not one. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, good, you're a good teacher. Jesus says, no one's good but God alone. I didn't get that from the Bible. Where did I get that? Right up here. Okay? Right up here. Jesus wants me to be a good person. Now, the great thing when you are making your own God, you get to pick what it means to be a good person, right? So do good people act out in revenge? Sometimes, right? Sometimes that's okay. That guy cut you off in the freeway by causing an accident. He deserves some harsh words. And I'm still a good person, right? I'm still a good person, right? I, 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 do good people... I mean, you get to define it. It's just it's just open to you, right? So So our response... If my God is one that I've made and his name is Jesus, he just wants me to be a good person, then my response is to live a life, a good life, right? Who lives a good life? If you ask everybody on their deathbed if they lived a good life, almost every single person will say yes. You know why? Because it's according to our own standard. You made your own God, okay? Okay. So let's, let's keep making ours, all right? Let me, let me give you some ones I hear. I heard, I've heard all these in, in the last month. Uh, my Jesus would not send anyone to hell. There is no hell. No one burns in hell. My Jesus wouldn't send them. Heard it this month. Where did I get that? Did I get that from here? Did not. I didn't read very far if I got that from here, okay? Uh, where did I get that? Right up here, right? Making my own God. My Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. And so if my Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell then it really doesn't matter if I evangelize. It really doesn't matter if I read my Bible. It really doesn't matter if I disciple anybody. Why would I even disciple anybody? I just need to let people alone. Live and let live. Be tolerant. Do you, you see? There's a lot of people. that You know when, the, you, you know when they're telling you that you, you're intolerant? You, you know what they're doing? They're worshiping. You see? Their God is a God. It doesn't matter. You just let everybody live how they want to live. That is the expression of 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 worship. It's just just be who you want to be. You know, it doesn't matter what you do is good. What I do is good. Just don't get my way. You know, I mean, it's it's that kind of thing. All right, let's keep going. How else? How else? Well, well, what else should we say? My my Jesus, my Jesus does not. I don't have to go to church. My my Jesus doesn't care about church. I heard that this week. My Jesus, actually, what it says? Uh, I've heard this one before. My, uh, Jesus doesn't believe in organized religion. Where do we get that? <clears throat> I went from this. You'd have to chuck the whole book of Ephesians, okay? Uh, to chuck the church. I mean, man, you know, you didn't get, we got that from right up here, right? I'm making my own God, and, and my God, the church is not. You know, he doesn't like the church, and there's nothing there. You know, so I, I, I get to shape my Jesus. Uh, how, how about these? Um, you know, my, my, my Jesus, my Jesus just wants me to be happy. Actually, if I was making my own God, I've heard that one from a bunch of people. I would use that one, okay? You know why? It has maximum flexibility, okay? Because what, what do I want? Whatever I want, whatever I want makes me happy. That's what my God wants. He just follows me, you know? God, this makes me happy, you know? God, today, leaving Emma and shacking up with somebody else makes me happy. And my God's like, that's what I want you to do, you know? Because <laughs> I want you to be happy. I mean, I mean you're laughing. People do that every day. They do. It's, it's horrific. It's horrific. You know why? Because they made their own God. You see, when you make your own God, you, you, you're not saying you're, you're not living according to truth. You're not worshiping in spirit and truth. You're not you're not saying. Every morning, you open up your Bible. Who are you, Jesus? Oh, oh, that's who you are. Jesus, you, you forgive your enemies. Oh, wow gosh, I made an enemy yesterday. Jesus, you're king, you're Lord. Okay, help me. Give me power, Jesus, to go to work today and to ask forgiveness of that man. You see what you're doing? You're worshiping according to spirit and truth. But when you make your own God, when, you, when you're an idolater... Then you just get to make up your rules. And here's what I'm telling you, friends. I'm telling you, not everybody in church worships Jesus. I'm telling you, not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian. I'm not telling you that, I'm telling you that everybody who who says I love Jesus is not saying the same thing, okay? Because some people have made their own God, and making your own God is called idolatry. And listen, idolatry is a big deal. Let let, let me me try to define idolatry for you. Idolatry is anything you put before God. Anything that you love more than God. Anything that you serve above the true and revealed God in the Bible. Colossians 3 verse 5 tells us that, that idolatry has a strong connection with covetousness. In fact, it tells us idolatry is covetousness. Now, that makes sense to me, because you know what covetous is? When I covet something, it's, I know I shouldn't want that. Oh, I want it. you got to have it. It's all I dream about. I'm consumed with it. I want it more than anything. Okay, that, that's covetous. That is covetous. And it's idolatry. Dr. Andrew Blackwood, professor at Princeton, said this of America. America has the following gods. Man, I think this guy's not very far off. I don't think he's got them all, but these are the main ones. America has the following gods. Self. I think that's the most popular one. Self. Money. Pleasure. Sex. Romance. Amusement. Sports. Education. Anytime you see people putting those things above Jesus. Okay? So they square off. Okay? Jesus says this about money. They say this about money. When they win, who's God? It's not Jesus, okay? Jesus says this about sex. They say this about sex. Those things square off. Jesus loses. Who's God? Tell me who's God. It's not Jesus. Not in that instance. Something else is God in their life. What do you look to for your happiness? What do you look to for your security? What do you look to for purpose and meaning and to satisfy your soul? What's most valuable to you? What's more valuable than anything, friends? That is your God. And people become like their gods. Did you know that? That's an interesting thing. The Bible, Isaiah says that, that that you become like, why would you become like your God? Let me tell you, because whatever your God is, what you value most. It's what you love the most. It's what you treasure. And we always become like those things that we treasure, don't we? Our, Our life begins to be shaped around them and we begin to be formed around them. We begin to imitate them. And my friends, this is a big deal. It's a big deal because when you worship an idol, you are rejecting the true God. Romans 1, Romans 1 tells us that idolatry is essentially telling God, we don't want you. Romans 1.23 says they have, he's talking about mankind in general, exchanged the glory of the immortal God. You've heard me talk about this before. What does it mean to exchange something? You do it every Christmas, right? You get it, you don't want it, you take it back and get something else. That's what it means to exchange. And it says they have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Birds, animals, creeping things. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You know what the heart of idolatry is? The heart of idolatry is this. We open this book up and we say, oh, that's who Jesus is? I'm not, I'm not interested in that Jesus. We, we need to work on that a little bit. Because I, I, I got things I want to do that's not... not no, we, I, I want to shape my own... It is a rejection of God. In the Bible, the Old Testament over and over, you know, you know the image it uses for idolatry? Adultery. That's the image it uses. God says you are an adulterous people, and Ezekiel says you you have hoard after other gods. You hoard after other lovers, is the way he, he phrases it. And the picture he wants to put in our mind is that idolatry to God is the same as adultery to us. Okay, when we think about a spousal relationship and we think about the pain and betrayal and, and brutality of adultery, God says I want you to have that image in, my, in your mind when you think about it, this is what it is when you worship other. Things, God takes idolatry serious. I was reading John MacArthur, and he scared me a little bit. That happens sometimes. Um, you know, I, I I I already had in my mind, you know, sex, money, pleasure, self, uh, position, status, job. I mean, I realize all those things are very tempting to be an idol in our lives. MacArthur throws out a wild card here. He says, in America, what what I see is that that people often make an idol of their children. And uh, I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with him a little bit. I can see it. I'm okay. You know, I, I mean, I see how it's real easy to wrap your whole life around your kids and, and you just, you know, what, whatever they want, whatever they do, you just follow along, you know, and, and your whole life is kind of dependent upon them. And, and, but I'm still not completely bought in until he mentions two people in the Bible and then it all begins to come together, Hannah and Abraham. You know, Hannah and Abraham are two interesting stories. The first one is, is Hannah. She is barren. She cannot have children. And uh, so she, she's at the temple. She's praying. She's saying, God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And God grants her a child. And, and she has this baby boy and she nurses this baby. And then it says when he was weaned, when he was weaned. Okay, now, I don't know. You know, I think my, my wife weaned our kids about a year or so. But let's just, let's just stretch it out. Let's say she she nursed him until he was two or three, a toddler, you know. And can you imagine, ladies, ladies, moms, get this. You you take your toddler and you travel to Jerusalem. You travel a long ways away, a place that you only go once a year. And you take him to the temple and and you knock on the door and you say, Eli, this is my son. And I I told God that if he would give me a son, I I would give him back. And so here he is. And that boy grows up to be Samuel. Wow. What's the point in that? The point in that is that Hannah worship God above all. Abraham. Remember Abraham? Has a boy. Well, he only waits 100 years, you know, to get one, you know. Uh, waits 100 years, finally gets his son. Son of promise. The son that everything is, is hinging upon. What's God do? What's God do? Hey Abraham. Take him up on the mountain. Give him back. Why? Oh, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why? Why? Well, one reason is that's a huge foreshadow. He's pointing forward to Jesus, right? Where God would give his son, his only beloved son for your sins. Okay? But remember what what he says to Abraham after it? After after Abraham is willing, God stops him, God provides a ram, Isaac lives, and then Abraham says, "Now I know, now I know Abraham, that you worship me. Now I know that you serve me. Now I know that there's nothing between me and you." Did both those were children, instances of children. People who, who their tendency might be to make an idol of kids' friends. We can make an idol of lots of things, can we not? And let me tell you, we cannot afford to be wrong with what we worship. This is not a, is not a Nebuchadnezzar problem. This is an America problem. This is a today problem. This is a church problem. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee idolatry. 1 John 5, 21, little children, guard yourselves from idolatry idols. So these three guys are placed in the situation where Nebuchadnezzar has created his own God. He wants them to worship his God. And he puts them in a situation where it is worship or die. Okay. Those are your two choices, guys. You either fall down and worship this God. You either, you either deny that there's only one true God and that he, he has all your allegiance and you, you worship another God or you die. You die a brutal, painful, horrific death right now. Those are your two choices. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that if I were put in that situation, I believe I would have all kinds of excuses going through my head, would you not? How about some of these? Any of these come to your mind? Man, God wouldn't want me to lose my life. God wouldn't want me to lose my life. You know, I mean, man, I got five kids. I I, I got college to pay for. I've got a wife who needs me. God wouldn't... Whoa, 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 where did I get that? Did I get that from here? <laughs> I don't believe I did. I think I just made that up, didn't I? You yeah. know? Okay, that doesn't work. Okay? How about... Um, these guys could have said this. Haven't we been through enough? I mean, we lost our nation. We lost our family. We lost our home. We've been enslaved. I mean, we do that a lot, don't we? Whenever things have been tough in our life and we square up against something we know is right or wrong and we, go, we pull out the card... God, I've been through so much. God, my job is so hard. God, I'm so tired. God, I'm, my health's been bad. God, I got arthritis. God, this, that. You know, here's my card. God, I've been through a lot. You got to give me a pass on this one. Everyone else is doing it, which was true. Everyone else, I mean, everybody else, the whole place. There were a lot of other Jewish kids there. Just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they brought over. They were there. Some people even speculate, some scholars speculate that the king of Israel. The, the, the former king of Israel was there in that crowd. It says that from all nations, languages, right? Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make sure that everybody in his kingdom bowed down to this. Everybody's doing it. Do I really have a choice? But you know the one that would have snagged me? It's this one. I'll fake it. When you've been tempted to do that, just fake it. I mean, does it really matter? I'm not doing it in my heart, right? I mean, I, I, I think what I'd have been tempted to, to say was, hey, I'm a farm boy from Kansas. I've never been to these plains before. Here comes the music. That I, hey, guys, let's check out this soil, right? You know, what's going on here? I'd have been tempted to do this. I got to pray for all these guys. I got to pray for all these heathens. I'm just going to get down right like this. Pray for all these other idolaters. That's what I, I'm praying to the true God, you know? But in my heart of hearts, what am I doing? You know what I'm doing? I'm saying very loudly, I'm saying very clearly, I'm saying very, very articulately, I'd rather have my life than Jesus. Is you that know what I'm saying? If I do that, I'm just making excuses. These guys didn't make excuses, by the way. They made resolves. Hey Neb. Do whatever you want. We're not bound down. And and you know, isn't it interesting that um, in chapter one, that's what they were doing. They were making those resolves, but it was much smaller, wasn't it? It was what they're going to eat. You you know what I found, my friends? Is it, and we'll talk about this at the end of the sermon. I'm going to come back to this, okay? But here's what I found. If we don't make resolves in the small things, let's not kid ourselves that we will do it in the big things, okay? So, what happens here? Well... <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar gets really furious that they won't bow down and he, he kind of tips his hat to his theology by the way in verse 15 look at the end of verse 15 who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands what I want you to see about Nebuchadnezzar and this you're, you're going to see this next week you're going to see this in chapter 6 it's not that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't believe in the God of Israel. He does, okay? If you look back in the last chapter, chapter 2, oh, he has a great speech into chapter 2, verse 47. King answered to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of God and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. You've been able to reveal this dream to me. I mean, he, <coughs> he's all for, you know, that there's a God in Israel, okay? But here's what he says in verse 15. He's not going to do anything to help you. You know what i found? A lot of people have that exact theology. Their theology is, I believe in God. I just don't believe he's going to do anything. I, I, I can walk against him and, and I, can, I can fudge my expense report. And, and, and I, I, can, I can watch pornography and, and, and I can lie. God's not going to do anything. He's not going to do anything. In Zephaniah, the prophet condemned those people. Verse Chapter 1, verse 12. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. God's not going to do anything. So that's what he thinks, okay? Let me tell you what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego think. Look at verse 17. Here's what they say. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. "...from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image." Now, please notice what they say. They say, our God can deliver us. We're not sure if He will or not. That's up to Him. And even if He doesn't, doesn't change anything we won't bow down. You know why I love that? I love that because these guys are not putting conditions on God, okay? You know, there's a lot of times where we want to say, God, I will worship you if, if, if you'll just take care of this. God, if you'll come in and heal me, I will worship you the rest of my life. God, if you'll come in and straighten out my mess, God, I'll worship you the rest of my life. God, if you'll come in and heal and and fix my financial problem, God, then I'll worship. It's always an if. Listen, God's not beholden to you. Okay, he does not have to prove himself. He's already proved himself that he's the God of the scriptures. He's the God who sent his son Jesus to die a horrific death for your sins. He's the God who rose from the dead and, and is reigning today. And there, there isn't any if about it. And these guys don't have any if in their hearts. I mean, they're like, God can do what he wants. If he, he'll do what's best, we trust him. Either way, he can. He could deliver us if he wanted to. But if he doesn't, we're not serving. We're not bowing down. You know Why? Because here's what they're convinced of. Our God is better than life. Psalm 63, 3. Your steadfast love is better than life. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. What What are those verses saying? They're saying what Paul said in Philippians 1, 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. Notice again verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. But then notice this little phrase. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Okay, verse 18. If he doesn't, that's fine. We're not serving. Verse 17, the beginning. He can... But notice in between those two, and he will deliver us out of your hand. What, what are they saying there? You know what they're saying? Listen, Nebuchadnezzar, we're done with you either way. Right? I mean, if, 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 if God comes in and rescues us, you're going to know who the true God is. All right? If he doesn't, yeah, we die. But you know what? We're done with you. We're, we're going to the new heaven, to the new earth. They're, they're really saying what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. When he says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, these guys already made up their mind, hadn't they? They made up their mind. They they knew their life was not about them. Their life was about God. They they had already made that resolve. And in fact, the Bible screams to believers that we need to have that conviction in our heart. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 2.20? I don't remember what he says either. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me made you listen. I did that on purpose. No, I didn't. I forgot it. I was like, what does it say? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. What did Jesus say? If anyone would desire to come after me, let him take up his, his what? His recliner, right? Let him take up his recliner and watch me. Anyone who desires to come after me, let him take up his comfort pillow. No, no you're taking up your cross. What do you do with a cross, my friends? You're executed. What, what are those verses saying? As believers, you know what we've said? Jesus, you're my life. You're better than life. I want you more than life. I've died to me. I'm alive to you. Whatever you got for me is the best thing. You see, the decision's already made. Is it already made in your life? What do you think? I think it's kind of helpful to go ahead and put ourselves in this situation. And ask the question, what are you willing to die for? We're going to Yellowstone National Park this, week, this, uh, this last summer. And uh, we, uh, we b- I bought a, uh, a deal on Yellowstone, and one of the chapters on it, it's a little CD, one of the chapters on it was The Dangers of Yellowstone. It was the most gruesome chapter in the whole thing. I mean, we, I mean, we listened to the whole thing, but the kids were so scared, they'd hardly get out of the van when we got to Yellowstone. I was like, man, <laughs> get out of the van, we're dying. I mean, it's every grisly way you could die in Yellowstone. I think they were just trying to scare people to, you know, get them to not, you know, you know cross over the boundaries and stuff because of the, the geysers and the, the hot springs but one of the stories I remember was of this guy he had his dog and his dog got off the leash and he got off the boardwalk and the, the ground is real fragile around the springs and the ground collapsed and he fell in the in the hot spring and those things are anywhere two, three, four hundred degrees you know and, and the guy is taken off his shoes to go in after the dog and people evident I mean people were all around there they're screaming at the guy no 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 you're going to die you can't go in there you know don't don't and and I can't tell you what he said because it's got a curse word in it. But basically what he said was, you know, the, the heck with you guys. You know, I'm going in after my dog. And he takes off his shoes and he jumps in and he dies, you know. He, he boils to death, basically. And and we're, we're, we're driving through Wyoming listening to that deal. And I turned around and told my, my son. I said, hey, son, I just want you to know, Snickers jumps in. Snickers is dead. I ain't not going in after him. you know. We'll get you a new dog. I'm not dying for Snickers, all right. Uh I just ain't. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's already resolved in my mind, okay? But, but listen, what are you willing to die for? There's two questions, okay? Answer those in these two questions. Is there something worse than death? And is there something better than life? You see, that will answer the question for you. If in your mind there's something worse than death and there's something better than life, then there's something you're willing to die for, Right? Friday, only Paul and Michelle were in the office, and so I called them out, and I said, hey, ladies, I, said, I have a question for you. And I wanted to phrase the question a little differently. I knew what they'd say if I asked it about them, but I said, okay, terrorists comes into our church, puts a gun to your husband's head. So a gun to Andrew's head, gun to David's head. And he says, either admit that this whole Jesus thing is a bunch of phooey, he's a fraud, he's fake, he's not Lord, he's not king, or I'll blow your brains out. I said, what do you want your husband to do? Michelle answered immediately. Kind of surprised me. She didn't even think about it. She said, I want him to die. Sorry, Dave, but Paula said she'd want you to die. Paula <laughs> agreed. What do you think? <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's a valid question considering our, our text, is it not? what do you think? I asked my wife. My wife said, yeah, she said, I'd want you to be faithful. So I pushed against her and I said, really honey? I mean, I said, I said, let's think about this. All I got to do is say this one phrase and I get to live, you know? If I don't, I, I lose this life. I mean, I, I, I lose... Ever being at a soccer game again with our, with our girls. I, I lose thanksgivings and Christmases. And I miss out on my daughter's weddings and my son's graduation. And, and I never take another vacation with you, honey. And, and I leave you with the whole responsibility of five kids. And, and really, I mean, all I got to do, all I got to do is say he's not Lord. And I get all those things back. You know, I, I get to be at every soccer game and every Thanksgiving and every Christmas and every graduation and I get, get to live all of those days. I get to live every one of them knowing, knowing that I said with the most powerful words imaginable with my life. Here's what I said. Soccer is better than Jesus. Thanksgiving is better than Jesus. Christmas is better than Jesus. Vacation is better than Jesus. Retirement is better than Jesus. I'd rather have those things than I would have Jesus. And I'll tell you what. What my wife said. She said. Um, she said I know you. She said I. I really wouldn't have you. She said you wouldn't be you. And she said you'd live every day of your life, wanting to go back. You want to give your kids something? My kids should not expect a big inheritance, probably. Unless things change drastically. <laughs> My son will not be able to say that I taught him to throw a curveball. I cannot. They really can't even say that I've I taught them to fish. That's something a dad ought to do. I've took them fishing before. I can't say that I've really taught them to fish, though. We don't have much luck. So I've not given them a bunch of things that maybe people think are valuable. But let me tell you what I want to give my kids. I hope you want to give your kids this. I want to say with the loudest voice imaginable. And I want to say it in every way imaginable. I want to say it the whole of my life. I want to tell them. I want to show them. I want to communicate to them that Jesus is better than anything. That he is God. That he is king. That he is savior. That he is redeemer. I, I, I want them to know that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will take death. We're not bowing. We're not serving. Do what you will. And so Nebuchadnezzar does. He throws them in the furnace. You know, they still got to go in there. Did you notice that? God didn't take that away from him. He didn't. He, they, they still got to go in there, but, but to Nebuchadnezzar's surprise, guess what? ...that the, the, the fire has no effect upon them... ...and it has no effect upon them... ...because there's a fourth guy in the furnace. The, the things get real exciting here, okay? There's a fourth guy in there. Nebuchadnezzar's even excited. And the fourth guy is like a son of the guys. Now, now, who is this fourth guy? Well, you could say he's an angel. That's very possible. I'm not saying that I know exactly. You know, you could say he's an angel. He's a, an archangel, a protector sent by God. That very well could be. I personally believe this is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ, okay? We see glimpses of him all through the Old Testament. I think this is him because what I see here is Christ joining us in the flames of tribulation. What I see here is a picture of Jesus taking our hell for us, my friends. He, He joins us in this and delivers us from this. Nebuchadnezzar gave his worst and it had zero impact on these young men. Sin, death, and hell gave their worst to Jesus and on the third day he raises from the dead victorious. That's the God that we serve. That's the message. Now let's get down to nuts and bolts. Tomorrow. What about tomorrow? I think it is highly unlikely that any of you will be faced with a life or death situation tomorrow. Where you either profess Christ as Lord or you die. I I, I say that simply because for 41 years I've not been in one of those situations. And so... Not that it won't ever happen. I think there's a possibility it will to one of us, some of us, maybe in our lifetime. But but tomorrow seems unlikely to me, okay? But here is the reality, okay? The reality is tomorrow. You might not have the fiery furnace experience, but you know what you will have tomorrow? You will have tomorrow and this next week a hundred different ways that you will say with your life and with your words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the best thing. I love Jesus more than anything. Now now let me tell you, I'll just speak for me, okay? <laughs> I think I am kidding myself if if I say, I'll 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 stay strong in the fiery furnace. But tomorrow, I don't know that I'll be able to get up twenty minutes early and read my Bible. And I don't know if that I'll be able to come to prayer meeting. And I, I just don't know, you know, there's Good TV shows on. I don't, I don't. Do you see how funky that is? Do you see how ridiculous that is? I think we say that all the time. I, I, I think we, we, we want to say, hey, you know what? The 44 is to my head. I'm saying Jesus is Lord. Well, let, let me tell you, folks, if we don't say it tomorrow when there's no gun to our head. If if we don't show it in our priorities, if we don't show it in our love, if we don't show it in our obedience, when there's no gun and there's no fiery furnace, why in the world would we think we would do it when there is? Make sense? And that's what I'm convicted of. Hey, I'm, I'm really not worried about the fiery furnace. You know what I'm worried about? Tomorrow. Tomorrow will I show with my life that Jesus is better than anything. Let's ask for help. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us. We pray, God, that you would um, put it in our hearts, a strong resolve to show in every way, God, in our priorities, in our relationships, in in our our families. God, in our money, in, in in our recreation. God, in our obedience. I pray, God, that we would show that Jesus is Lord, Father I know, God, if we can't do that in the small things that will hit this week, if we can't obey you, if we, can't, if, if, if we pick other things above you, God, I, I don't know how we would ever do it in a situation like Daniel chapter 3. And so, Father, help us. Lord, we don't, we don't, we don't want the Jesus we make up. God, we want the real Jesus. We want to respond in, in spirit and in truth. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.